Good morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you. My name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here as well. If it's your very first time, I want to welcome you. I've got several things to mention before we go into our time of teaching. First of all, wasn't that an awesome video about the generosity initiative? And uh, I just want to, again, thank you for, for giving so generously at Christmas and to see that coming to fruition, to seeing that built up, people there uh, it's exciting to see what God's going to do through that, that ministry to the homeless there. Uh, secondly, just want to mention, Tony mentioned it quickly about life groups starting and about signups next weekend. But I want to let you know, if you're a longtime, you know, attender here at Rocky Peak, which means more than a year, uh, <laughs> like you, you know this, that, um, that uh, you, you know how life group works, how signups work. But I realize if you're brand new, this could be a little bit like, how does this happen? So I'm going to be sending an all-church email out this Friday with all the information about what life groups are, how they work, how you sign up. You'll be able to go online. I think we're going to have over 150 groups. You'll see the groups have opened and things like that. And so uh, if you're feeling a little bit like, well, I'm a, you know, I don't, well, I'll come next week, I won't know. By the time you get that email, uh, you'll know everything you need to know, and you can begin to, to either sign up directly there or sign up on the weekend. And then finally, uh, the last thing is that, you know, here at Rocky Peak, uh, one of our kind of the motto we live by, as you know, is listen and follow. And uh, we believe that. We believe that God is alive, that he leads us as a church. And one of the things we believe is that God has a vision for every church. And that it's not our job to create the vision and then ask him to bless it. It's our job to discover the vision and carry it out and to listen and follow. And so what that means is from time to time, God will lead us in a way that we weren't, didn't really see or see coming. And I want to share something that happened with you, but it's about 10 days ago. And about 10 days ago, um, Pastor Tony and I, we went away for a two-day kind of a, a planning prayer retreat, kind of long-term planning thing. And really out of the blue and through a very supernatural series of events, I don't have time to go into it now. I may share it as we get closer. But we really felt like God was calling us very specifically to have a 24 hours of prayer event uh, with fasting to kick off our fall season. And uh, the, the reason for this is it's just, there's just been a growing sense in our body of uh, kind of very real, kind of in, intense, um, more intense than normal, like spiritual warfare going on. And that we just need to rise to that challenge, go to the walls with the word in prayer and kind of come against that. And so um, I'll be sharing more about that in the next couple of weeks. But the week before life groups start, we want to do it before life groups because uh, you know, once life groups start, we're on break with that rhythm. But the week before that, on Tuesday night, so I want to give you this date. It's Tuesday night, uh, September the 10th at 7 p.m. We will kick off 24 hours of prayer and fasting here at the church. And so I'll kick off that opening session from 7 to 9. And if you've never been to one, this will be around the clock while people, uh, pastors, leaders on the camps to come to pray, prayer walks, and so on, as we pray over several specific issues that we feel like are areas of attack right now that we need to go to the wall. So we're very excited. So we'll do 24 hours of that. And then on Wednesday night, at the end of the 24 hours, we will do a special encounter service, which will be a time of, of uh, worship and prayer, probably elders here praying for healing, things like that, uh, as we go before the Lord and just go, go to war, right? So I um, want to be with you aware of that, ask you to make it a high priority that you participate in that as we come together and lift our voices up to God. Some very, some very specific things, and like I said, in the next couple of weeks, I'll share 
more about that, but I wanted to get it on your calendar since that came out of the blue. So um, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. If you're brand new here, not only a welcome, but inside your program is a green and white message note sheet we use every week for our time of teaching. But if you're new, you may not know that. So you'll definitely want to take that out. And if you guys are all ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? All right, let's go. Father, we're just excited to be here. We're thankful to be a part of a place where you speak and where you lead and where you guide. And uh, Father, I thank you so much for just really out of the blue calling us uh, to attention, calling us to alertness, calling us to go to the walls and to come before you for the sake of the church, our culture, where we're going. Um, And so, Father, we pray that today as we come under your leadership, under the authority of your word. We pray that you would speak, you would lead, you'd guide. I pray for myself, I pray for energy, I pray for words, I pray for flow, I pray for clarity. I pray for us as a church that as we gather that our ears would be open to whatever your spirit wants to say to us today and then it's always that when you speak, we would listen and then follow. We pray in Jesus' name and everyone said amen. Amen. Well, our story Starts today, it's early in the morning. In fact, the sun is just coming up and they're all inside the building. They're inside the home. They've just finished their breakfast and through the windows you can see the shadows beginning to recede outside as, they, as, the, as the day is about to begin. And this is a big day in their lives because they've been planning on this for a long time. They've been up early because they wanted to pack up, get ready to go. And now that breakfast is gone, they're ready to start on their journey. It's going to be a long journey. It's an important journey. There's a lot riding on this mission. As leader of the team, um, he has some reservations. Um, He has high hopes. He's excited. But he also has some very real concerns. It's going to be a long journey, several hundred miles by foot. They're going to be on an international highway. They're going to be traveling through many cities, villages, towns, but also wide open rural areas. And his main concern is not their safety, although that's always an issue. Um, They've hidden the large sum of money very carefully on their belongings. And they're traveling as a group. And so there's strength in numbers. Uh, So his concern is not just for the money or the safety of the trip, but his bigger concern is what they will find when they arrive at their final destination. He sent word ahead. He's told them exactly what they need when they arrive. But his concern, his question is whether people will actually be listening and taking him seriously. And he knows that their preparations are so important that in many ways, the success or failure of this whole mission depends on whether they're ready. And he knows on top of that, that if they're not ready, that this journey is gonna end in a tremendous sense of embarrassment and humiliation for all of them. Well, today, we are continuing our series called Metamorphosis, Growing in Generosity. And if you're, if you're new, um, this, is, um, this is actually like the second season. This series is like the second season of a long-running TV drama called The Metamorphosis, and the larger series is based on a letter from one of the leaders of the early movement of Jesus. His name is Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul, if you're new at this, 
and he's writing a letter to a group of Jesus followers that he actually led to Jesus about five or six years before in the southern tip of Greece in a major metropolitan city, one of the most important cities in the Roman Empire, the city of Corinth. And, uh, and so last week, as we kicked off this new short series, uh, Growing in Generosity, we launched into the first of two chapters, kind of the second major division of this letter that kick off, uh, starts off in chapter eight of this letter called 2 Corinthians. Now, uh, before we jump in today and continue our study in chapter eight, uh, we need to set the stage, we need a, a quick review. So there in your note sheet, <coughs> you have a section called Growing in Generosity, a quick review. We want to start with the basics. <laughs> Don't want to lose anyone early. So, uh, yeah, so if you were here last week, you, you may remember this, that, that Paul is in northern Greece. The Roman province was called Macedonia at the time. So he's in northern Greece. He's writing a letter to the Christ followers, you know, in southern Greece, in the city of Corinth in southern Greece. And uh, he is just, uh, he is just uh, one of his best friends and kind of his, his strongest co-workers in, on his team, a man by the name of Titus, has just returned from Corinth with the good news that the church of Corinth is finally back on track. So, uh, or at least most of them. Uh, yeah, not all of them. But uh, the church had been in rebellion against Paul, against his leadership, against Jesus. Remember, a rogue leader had risen up was leading the church astray. Paul had sent this painful letter to them, and it had worked. Titus had taken the letter. It had worked. They had turned around. They got back on track. They're so sorry for the way they treated Paul. They wanted to reconcile with him, come under Jesus' leadership, come under his leadership. And so it's great news. We just read about that in chapter 7. And so Paul now, now that things have been mended to some degree, he's ready to pick up the next topic to put on the table. And the topic is a, is a, is a topic of a, a initiative for the poor, or what we call here a generosity initiative, like we just saw today. And so what Paul is doing is that um, he is re, re, uh, leading a major fundraising drive from all the Gentile churches that he started around the Roman Empire in the last 10 years, uh, to raise financial support for the poor Jewish Christ followers who are uh, back in Jerusalem and really struggling financially, some even having a hard time putting food on the table. So about a year before Paul write, wrote this letter, maybe a year, 18 months before, whatever, a couple years before, Paul had talked to the Corinthians about this initiative, and they were very excited. They really felt God was in it. They began to give. They promised to give more. Then this rebellion happened with the rogue leader, and that put the whole mission, the whole project, on the back burners. But now that Paul has, uh, now that they've been reconciled to Paul, he's ready to recast the vision, get it back going. So if you're here last week, you remember at the start of chapter 8, Paul uh, shared with them the amazing story to inspire them of what God was doing with the churches in northern Greece, in Macedonia, where he is currently ministering, and churches like Thessalonica, and churches like Philippi, and so on. And that though they were going through an extreme time of persecution, and they're going through extreme poverty, that God just supernaturally worked in their hearts and empowered them, graced them to give generously to this project more than Paul could ever uh, would have imagined. And then Paul reminds them what a beautiful model this is because he said the ultimate model of 
generosity is Jesus, who though he was rich, became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And so he's kind of set it up, and now he's ready to move today to challenge them. In other words, like follow the model of the Macedonians. Follow the model of King Jesus and listen and follow the Holy Spirit in your life as you get back on track and kind of rekindle your passion for this project. So we're gonna pick it up today at verse 10. There in your note sheet is a section called Growing in Generosity as Paul uh, begins to tell them, okay, now here's your next step to get back on track. So we are covering a lot of ground today. In fact, we're going to start at 8.10. We're going to go all the way through 9.5, right? So aren't you glad you're here? This is a historic trek that we're taking today. Um, So we're going to start at verse 10. So he says, and here is my judgment about what is what? What is best for you in the matter. You want to mark that. We'll come back to it later. He says, last year, you know, when I first shared this vision, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So when when Paul first shared this over a year ago, they were super excited. They began to give, and they were pledged they'd give more. He said, (coughs) so now the time has come to finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it, you know, at the start, may be matched by your completion of it now according to your means uh, based on your financial situation. Because if the willingness is there to give, then the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. In other words, that God measures giving differently than we do. We'll come back to this, but he measures it not, not on how much we give, but how much we have to give, uh, our willingness, how much it costs us to give, things like that. <clears throat> so he said, our desire is not that others, and he's talking about the Christians in Jerusalem, our desire is not that the others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. So it sounds like in Corinth that there was some, still some pushback to this uh, generous offering, and uh, that some were saying, why should we help the Jews? Remember, there kind of a lot of anti-Semitism. Why should we help the Jews in uh, Jerusalem and just put ourselves in make hard? Why should we make life easy for them, hard for us? And he says, no, no, that's not it. We're not trying to make life easy for them, hard for you. We're just trying to kind of share the wealth so that everyone has enough. He says, the goal, uh, he says at verse uh, 14, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. So right now, you have more. We're going to help them. If the shoe was on the other foot, we'd go the other way. So the goal is equality. And then he's going to quote from Exodus 16, the Old Testament. And this is a passage where Israel, when God first began to provide manna for Israel in the wilderness, that when they went out to gather, some gathered a lot, some gathered a little, but when they got back, everyone had what they needed. And he says, as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too, much, too little. Now, from here to the end of our passage today, Paul is going to talk about the logistics of this project. So there's a lot of concerns. First of all, you have to take a large amount of money over 1,000 miles safely. 
we forget this. Uh, you know, today, we do an initiative for the poor here. We raised 200000 at Christmas. And uh, how do we get the money to West Hollywood? We just send them a check, you know, right? That's easy. We raised uh, money before, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year before, uh, to, uh, to, to build a girl's home in Uganda. How do we get the money there? We send them a check. We do an electronic transfer. Easy, right? In the ancient world, it wasn't like that. First of all, remember, there is no paper money. It's all coin. So it's heavy. How do you take a huge amount of money and transfer it from Corinth all the way to Jerusalem? You have to carry it by hand. There's no Venmo. There's no PayPal. There's no electric fund transfer. Like, you have to do it the old-fashioned way, which is heavy, uh, it's a lot of money. It's dangerous. So how, how are you going to do this? So there's a lot of logistics practically. On top of this, Paul is writing in northern Greece. Who's going to head up the collection that he's writing about in southern Greece? How's that going to work? Here's another issue. Uh, we'll see this a lot in our next series. But the apostle Paul chose not to ever take a salary or offering when he was working at a church. Now, this was very unusual. Jesus had actually said, this is what you should do, and this is what the apostles always did, but Paul felt for a variety of reasons we won't go into right now, that it was better for him not to. You'd think that the Corinthians would honor him, like what high integrity that is, what high note, but they actually struggled with this. It's like, we're not, you're, our money's too good, you're too good for our money? Or, well, you know, it's like they, there was actually kind of a social like, offense from that. And so there were some in the church of Corinth that said, oh, oh, Paul is so sly. Sure, he doesn't take any money from us when he's here, but he's taking this huge offering. And wait till he gets down the road, he's going to be dipping into the coffers. And so Paul wanted them to know that, hey, we're going to handle this offering with the highest level of integrity and accountability. And so he doesn't want to even deal with it firsthand. He says, so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send Titus to you. Now remember, Titus had just returned from Corinth to Paul in the north. They loved Titus. Titus had a great experience there. I'm going to send Titus back, and Titus is going to lead the collection. And with Titus, I'm going to send two highly respected brothers from the churches up here, churches of the north who've given generously. So they're going to come down to make sure this is everything's done in order so that then when we get there, we'll take the money, we'll travel with several representatives to Jerusalem. He just wants to make sure everything's on the up and up. So let's see what he says. <clears throat> so in verse 16, he says, Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. In other words, he loves you like I do. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal. So Paul, you know, Titus comes back from this several hundred miles. And Paul's like, that's awesome, Titus. Great news. Here's a new letter. Could you go back again? In fact, when you go back again, could you lead the, the collection? They trust you. They know you. Would you oversee the collection? So when I come, it's all ready to go. I don't even want to touch the money. Right? So he says, uh, Titus, verse 17, not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. He's excited. And we're sending along with him. Now, Paul's going to say he's going to send a couple guys with him from the churches up north. Paul's not going to mention their names, but when you stop and think about it, they don't need to know the names. 
Because when Titus arrives, he's going to have the letter. He's going to have these two guys. He's going to introduce the two guys. They know who the two guys is. So he just calls them brothers. I don't know what. But uh, anyway, he says, verse 18. So we're sending along with him the brother, unnamed, who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What's more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer uh, he's talking about when they go to Jerusalem at the end, <coughs> which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. And I love this. He said, for we're taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of whom? Men. Yeah. And so here's what Paul says. Uh, Paul knows his heart. Paul knows why he's doing this. Paul knows he's not going to be dipping into this coffer. But he says, we're taking pains. So it's not just clear to God. It's clear to everyone. And this is so important. I think whenever we give to any, any you know, mission, any church, any ministry, it's always so important that we give to, to places where there's sound financial practice in place, where there's checks and balances, where the pastor is not just saying, hey, just trust me, don't you trust me? It's like if someone says, give to me, don't you trust me? The answer is no. <laughs> because if you were trustworthy, you would, have, you would have the wisdom to know the importance of having appropriate checks and balances in place. So no, I'm not just going to trust you. And Paul says, hey, we're taking pains in this that we want everything above, we don't want any questions of integrity when it comes to money. And so we want to have the highest level of stand. We're taking pains so that not just God knows, but everyone knows and everyone can be assured. And then he says in verse 22, in addition, we're sending with him another brother who has, been, who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, he's passionate, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. And as for Titus, so again, remember, Titus is the leader of this three-man team. As for Titus, he's my partner. He's my co-worker among you. You know him. And as for our brothers, they are representatives. These two other men going with him. They're representatives of the churches uh, and in honor to Christ. All right, so he's got this three-man team coming. He says, therefore... Show these men the proof of your love. Now, he doesn't just mean like, hey, you know, welcome them in, uh, have a great meal, you know. Uh, what he's talking about, remember last week, Paul said, hey, you're claiming you come back to Jesus. You're claiming you come back under my leadership as your apostle. You're claiming you want to love God and love people, get back on track. He said, well, remember, God was moving so powerfully when I first shared this project with you. You're so passionate. So this will be a great test of the sincerity of your love. Do you remember that last week? I think it might have been verse 12, but the test, the sincerity of your love. So now what Paul is saying, hey, is when this team shows up, show them the sincerity that you're really of your love by the generosity that you've collected, you're ready for them. Uh, you, you're financially, have collected this gift, you're ready for them. And so, um, verse 24 again, therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you. 
um, so that the churches can see it. Then Paul says, now, there's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. This just makes me smile. Well, if there's no need, why are you spending two chapters? But he says, because I know he's like being super positive, right? For I know your eagerness to help, you know, at the beginning, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians up here and telling them that since last year, you in Achaia, remember Achaia is in the south, the province in the south, Corinth is the capital, you were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. So, so we need to step back in time. We need to repaint this situation, right? So, so Paul has gone to the north to Macedonia. Remember, when, when he first shared the vision the year before with the Corinthians in the south, they were so excited. They began to give, promised we're going to give more. So then he travels eventually north. And when he gets up to north, remember we called it like Northern California versus Southern California? When he gets up to the northern Greece, he says, I got to tell you, God is on the move down at, in Rocky Peak. God is on the move down in southern Greece. He's on the move in Corinth. Man, I've shared this vision with them. They are so excited to give. And the Macedonians up here who are going through severe persecution, remember from last week? And they're going through uh, uh, extreme poverty. They're so moved by what's going on in the southern Christians that they're like, wow, we want to be a part of that. So they've given generously. But now in the meantime, this rebellion came up. And the Corinthians stopped their project. And now he's told them up here how amazing the Corinthians are and how they're giving so much that now pretty soon Paul's going to have to bring those representatives down and what happens if he shows up there and they're not giving? This is going to be a disaster. So this takes us back to the story we started the day with. Then we started the day with the story of this man early morning. Uh, after breakfast, packing up. They're going to be ready for a long journey, several hundred miles. They've got a lot of money. They're loaded but it's carefully hidden. They're traveling as a team for more safety, but his concern is not primarily their safety. That's always an issue. But his concern is, will the people at their destination be ready? He sent explicit instructions, but if they haven't listened, this whole project, this big project, could be a disaster, and it's gonna be humiliating for all of them. This is the story of Paul. This is the situation. He will be traveling in a few months with these representatives, the northern churches. He's bragged about the churches of the south. And what if they get up and they haven't listened in fault? Super awkward for everyone. And that's why he's sending Titus. And that's why he is sending this, uh, this representative, uh, to, these two men, with him to prepare the people so that when the delegation from the north arrives with Paul, that they're ready to go. And it's a big win. And so he says in verse um, 3, but I'm sending the brothers, uh, Titus and these other two, in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any of the Macedonians from the north come with me and they find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So 
I thought it necessary to urge the brothers, Titus and his buddies, to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for this generous gift, like to make, get all the collections together, and then it will be ready as a generous gift and not as one grudgingly given. In other words, that you're all ready, you're excited to give, you're not just like, oh no, what are we gonna do? Quick, take a collection behind the scenes, we gotta save face here, super embarrassing. So that's the passage. Now, here's what I want to do. In the time that we have today, um, I want to uh, go back and uh, remember what I said last week, that this teaching in chapter 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians is some of the best teaching in all the Bible on generosity, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, how to grow in generosity. It's kind of like the gold standard, some of the best teaching. And so last week, we looked at, uh, in the first passage, we highlighted four big picture principles about growing, generosity, transformation, and so on. Today, we're going to add three more. And then next week, we'll end up with the final three. So we're going to have 10 big picture principles. Now, that doesn't cover all of them. Uh, like today, one, one that was so important was that whenever you're collecting money, whenever you're in ministry, it's so important. It's high, handled with the highest level of accountability, integrity, and so on. We're not really putting that in. Just get a sidebar on that. But these are 10 of the most important principles for our life about generosity, giving, growing in generosity, and so on. So there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Growing in Generosity, the Principles. Looked at four last week, next three today. The first one goes like this. Generosity is a gift. Now, if you're sharp, a little self-test here. Some of you may recognize, like, wait a second. Wasn't that the first principle last week? And it's like, yeah, but I needed 10. <laughs> no, no um, just kidding. <laughs> Uh, no, it was, uh, it was, but I meant something completely different. So if you were here last week, we talked about generosity is a gift. Um, and what we meant by that, and what I meant by that is that we saw last week, if we're going to grow in generosity, if you and I are going to grow in generosity, this is going to be because of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Do you remember that? The Macedonians, remember, they're going through severe trial and they're going through extreme poverty, but that in spite of that, they gave super generously, more than Paul could ever imagine. Remember, Paul said, because God graced them. And we talked about this, that the supernatural work of God in our lives, that if we're going to grow in generosity, we're going to have to grow, it's going to be the result of the gift of the Holy Spirit, the working of the Holy Spirit, supernatural working of God. Of course, we have to listen and follow, we have to cooperate when he initiates, but that generosity is a gift. It's, a, it's something that God does in us. That was the point last week. This, we're going a different direction. Today, when I say generosity is a gift, what I mean is that generosity is for our good. That this, uh, when God calls us to give, when he calls us to grow, it's because he loves us and it's for our good. In other words, that growing in generosity is a path to freedom. It's a path to fulfillment. It's a path to transformation. You know, last week someone emailed me this great quote from Billy Graham, the famous evangelist I put on your note sheet. And it goes like this that if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, 
it will help straighten out almost every other area of his life. Man, there's a lot of power in that, right? Um, and, you know, one of the things that I believe so strongly, I teach it often here at Rocky Peak, it's something that every next step dessert in my house, our number one value here at Rocky Peak, we have seven values, number one value is the word, embracing the truth. And one of the things I say at every next step is that we believe that the word is not only the word of God, but we believe it's a path to life. We believe that the word of God, like properly understood in context, properly interpreted in context, that the word leads to life. Like if you want to live life to the full, God has revealed himself and given us a book, kind of a map to life. Like here is the path to life. And that everything that God tells us is always for our good. One of my favorite passages, Psalm 119, 32, where the psalmist says, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Like there was a, there was a time when I didn't walk in the path of your commands. I didn't trust them. And then there was a path that I, I walked and then there was a, a, a came a time I began to jog. As I began to listen, they began to bring me freedom. I, I began to jog. But he says, now I've come to the place I run in the path of your commands because they have set me free. Remember what Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? So, so I believe for the whole Bible that when God tells us something, even the hard things, that God's word, his commands are never to restrict us they're always to protect us. He's always looking out for our good. And that's true of all the teaching in the word, but it's especially true in the area of generosity. And that's why Paul starts off this section today like he does. I want you to look what he says in chapter eight and verse 10. This was the very first verse that we looked at today. In 8.10, he says, here is my judgment or here is my um, decision, or here's my opinion about what is what? Best for you in this matter. So he starts off talking about the Macedonians, what God has done. And then he talks about Jesus, how he's, he was rich, became poor, as a model for us, right? But now it's time to take the next step. And he says, so, so let me just you know, jump in. And he says, let me tell you my opinion um, about what is best for you. And he begins to launch into this challenge that they would listen and follow the Holy Spirit in this area of generosity. And I want you to think about this. There is nothing in this for the Apostle Paul. Like this, this is not like, this is not like a, a pastor who takes a salary from a church. Paul is, this is like an initiative for the poor. There's not one cent of this offering that's coming to Paul. This, his passion for this project, his passion that they would give and listen to God and it's all about them. It's about this is for your good. And this is what you see throughout the Bible. And this is why in the Bible, there's so much teaching about finances, about generosity, about giving, is because this is for our good. This is like, like Paul is like their spiritual father, and he's raising up spiritual children. 
And you know, when you raise up spiritual, when you raise up kids, they don't always understand what's for their good, right? Like you have to teach children to be polite. Like I don't know if any of you have small children right now or grandchildren, but chances are when they started talking, their first words were, were not thank you and please, <laughs> right? Um, chances are if you have a three-year-old, they don't naturally share. Like you have to teach them to share. What they naturally do is hold up mine. That's what's natural. But as a parent, you look down the life, you say, if you want to live a life well, you have to learn how to share. Like if, if, you, if, it's, if all of life is about you and taking and holding on, your life is not going to end up well. And so as a parent, you come along, and at the time, it doesn't feel good when you're three years old. And they're telling you, no, it's mine. But as their parent, you see this, it's like, no, 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 trust me, this is for your good. Life will go well if you're not a narcissist, right? <laughs> it will go better, trust me. And so Paul comes and he starts, says, this is for your good. I love you, you're my kids, I love you. And this is why there's so much teaching in the Bible about giving, generosity. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when God launched the nation of Israel, have you ever noticed how he wove generosity into the very fabric of their lives? Like it starts with the tithe, right? That they would give 10% every year of the kind of off the top of their produce and their animals and their, their herds and their vineyards and other crops and all. They'd give it to the Lord. Why? To teach them to, to trust him, to teach them to grow in gratitude, right? So he could bless them. And then you think of the sacrifices. Think of the, the, the regular sacrifices that they were required to give every year. We forget sometimes how expensive that was. Like imagine if I said, hey, by the way, next Sunday, it's a national bowl day. And uh, we're going to be sacrificing bowls here at Rocky Peak. So y'all need to bring a bowl next week. You're like, where do I get a bowl? Fillmore. Go to Fillmore. Get a bowl. And I'm like, well, how do I get them here? What's going to take a while? You better start now. And then it's like, well, how much is it going to cost? It's going to be expensive. Like we read over the sacrifices, and that just we we are so out of touch with that. We don't think like that. Oh my gosh, a lamb? That's like that's not, not cheap, right? But it's part of their part of their gift to God, right? Uh, we think you think of uh, when it comes time to building the tabernacle, building the temple, rebuilding the temple. You know the the huge amount of money that was required for that. You think of the constant teaching in the Old Testament, giving to the poor. The righteous gives to the poor. It's like, like it's woven all the way through. And Jesus comes, and Jesus talks so much about generosity and giving. You look at the book of Acts and how generous the early church was taking care of each other's needs. You look throughout the New Testament, this teaching scattered throughout the New Testament about the importance of generosity. And then you see like this gold standard, eight chapters, eight and nine, two whole chapters. And you say, why is there so much teaching? It's because Jesus, as I said last week, he understood this, that one of the greatest competitors for God in our life is finances. And until we learn to trust him and to thank him 
and to be a conduit of his love and grace to others will never be the people we were created to be, people like Jesus, right? People that were rich became poor so that others through our, our uh, poverty might become rich. And so, so it starts off here, and Paul gets this. And so he knows in Corinth there's pushback. I mean, sure, Titus has told him, yeah, some are up for up, but there's pushback. He knows there's some there like, how can I give? I won't have enough for me. It's a common human fear. There's others who are just like, why should we give to the Jews over there? We're just making life easy for them and make it hard for us. Why does that make any sense? There's others who are saying, we shouldn't give this thing. How can we trust Paul? He's probably gonna rip us off. So there's a lot of opposition. And he starts by reminding, this is for your good. It's for us. It's for our transformation. Number two. The second principle is that generosity is both systematic and spontaneous. So if you look at the teaching in the Bible, you see, you know, in a broad, in a broad, in a broad sense, a couple of different kinds of, um, you can kind of separate out the different kinds of giving into like two broad categories of systematic giving and spontaneous, or if you like the word situational. So for example, uh, there are certain kinds of giving, you look at, at the nation of Israel, there's certain kinds of giving that were systematic. Like we talked before about the tithe. You know, a lot of teaching about the tithe for Israel, they're bringing the first 10%, everything to give to the Lord every year. Very systematic, like clockwork. It wasn't like when you felt like, it's just part of the systematic giving of your life. Certain sacrifices, very much they were systematic. You were required to give them. There's a certain way to be done. <laughs> but there's other kinds of giving that was more spontaneous or situational. For example, there's certain sacrifices that weren't required. They were completely voluntary. Like there were gifts called free will sacrifices. And a free will sacrifice is something you weren't required, but you'd give maybe as an act of thanksgiving to God for something that he'd done for you, answered a prayer. Maybe it was a, a, a vow, like you'd made a vow to the Lord, and he had, he had said, Lord, if you do this, I will, I will give you an offering. And he did that, and so you bring the, the sacrifice for your vow offering. There's different, you know, these were optional things. They were situational um, obviously, there were times where there were certain projects that would come up, like the building of the tabernacle, the building of the temple, and there wasn't some kind of national tax like everyone had to give. God said, give as your heart leads you. You know, it was situational. It was spontaneous. Of course, giving to the poor, it wasn't like there was this, you know, tax and everyone pays. It's like, no, it's like, you know, be generous to the poor. As you have people in your life that have need, give to them. And so you see these two kinds of giving in Scripture, kind of spontaneous and uh, systematic. Now, what's interesting, in this particular project that Paul is leading, you see both of these combined in a single offering. So, first of all, we know a lot of, we know this project, this project was a one-time offer, wasn't it? One-time offering. Um, in other words, that Paul wasn't going to be coming every year and collecting money for the church Christians in Jerusalem. This was a one-time thing. Um, so it was kind of spontaneous, it was situational, but, um, but it was such a big project, he said you need to approach this in a very systematic way. And to understand this, we have to go back in time. So remember that Paul wrote this morning, we saw that, he said when I first shared with you last year about this, you were real excited about this. So 
we have to go back to 1 Corinthians to learn more what he had told them about 12 or 18 months before about this project. So there in your note sheet, you have a passage from 1 Corinthians 16. And uh, he's talking to him, giving him instructions about this project. He says, now, about the collection for the Lord's people. That's this initiative for the poor. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So the region, the the province of Galatia was in modern-day Turkey. This is where Paul first started churches for Jesus. So it would be like Acts 13 and 14, churches like Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, things like that. And he said, so, so Paul had already told them what, how to approach this offering. He says, hey, I'm going to give you the same instructions I gave them how to approach this. And he says, on the first day of every week. So which day is that? Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. So they're probably meeting on Sunday. Christians are probably meeting on Sunday, the Lord's Day, the first day of the, the resurrection, the new creation. On the first day of the week, Each one of you, notice no exceptions, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. I know this is kind of proportional, we'll talk about that later. Saving it up so that when I come, uh, no collection will have to be made. So this is what he told them. Uh, This this project, you know, they're excited about this. Here's how you should handle it. That uh, every week when you gather, Uh, every one of you should bring, based on your income that week, an offering, and you put it into a a common pot. And so when I get there, it'll all be ready, and we'll take it to Jerusalem. So notice, this is a spontaneous, one-time, situational offering. But because it's so big, he says you need to approach it in a very systematic way. Every week, we're going to give you're going to set that aside. We're going to save it up kind of very systematic. Now, here's what I'm, I'm suggesting. And I'm suggesting that as followers of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit wants to grow us in both systematic and spontaneous giving. And what I've found over time is that this is certainly true in my life. I'll see if it's true in your life. But that for many of us, that we tend to excel in either one or the other. So let me give you an example. Some of you uh, are, are very familiar with the concept of tithing, you know, kind of giving 10% off the top floor. We'll talk more about that later. But some of you are very familiar with it. You grew up with that, maybe, uh, or when you first came to Jesus, you received some great teaching on that. And so you surrendered your life to the Lord, and you said, yes, I want to obey you. And so you began to give in a very systematic way. And it may have been very difficult at the beginning to take that step, a step of surrender, a step of trust, but God blessed you for it, and it's just part of your life now. And so you don't even think about it. Like it's the first check that you write, or it's automatic withdrawal, and you you fund God's kingdom, and you don't even think of it. It's not even a debate. It's just kind of what you do, right? So you really excel in systematic. You give generously and systematically, but for whatever reason, there may be many of us that excel in systematic giving that we're not so hot on the spontaneous, that we may have never received teaching on this. For example, when I was growing up, I heard a lot of messages on tithing. I don't think I ever heard in my home church, I don't think I ever heard one message on giving to the poor. Like I never even heard, but the Bible's full of that. The mark of the righteous, they give to the poor, but I never even knew that. And so I was a follower of Jesus. I knew about tithing, but I wasn't even thinking about these other things. And so 
Some of us are like that for whatever reason. Maybe we've never been exposed to that kind of teaching where the Bible says. So we're really good at systematic. But when it comes to giving to family members who are struggling financially, when it comes to uh, helping out people in our life group, when it comes to a special initiative for the poor, or special projects at a church or a ministry, or even when it comes to giving to, say, like worldwide crisis or tornado or you know, a tsunami or something, that we're very slow there because we get very generously here, and that's part of our paradigm, but this just isn't. There's for others of us, we're exactly the opposite. We're really big on spontaneous. We have a big heart and God's touched our heart and we love people. And so when there's a need, whether it's our life group, it's a family member, it's a, a special project of the church, it's an initiative for the poor, it's a worldwide crisis, we're the first to get out our checkbook or get out our phone or whatever. And, and to give, we wanna give, like we have a big heart for giving, but we've never received teaching or we've never been obedient, either one, but we've never really made it a practice. To assist. Are you with me here? That it's very possible that, for, that often we tend to excel in one or not the other. And all I want you to catch as, as followers of Jesus, he wants to grow us in both areas. He wants to grow us that we're, we're funding the ongoing work of the kingdom but we're also giving over and above to things that are really important, whether it's projects or people or needs or the poor or whatever it is to advance his kingdom. Now, number three. The third principle is that generosity is proportionate. In other words, the way God measures generosity is different than the way we often measure. Like, for example, do you think yourself as, this is not a show of hands, do you see yourself as a generous person, right? Do you see yourself, uh, how do you think God sees you? And the point is, is that God measures generosity differently than we do. We tend to measure gener generosity by the size of the gift, God measures generosity by the size of the heart. We measure generosity by how much we gave. God measures generosity by how much it cost us to give. And so you see this teaching over and over. We saw it three times today in the two passages we read about proportionate giving. You see phrases like according to your means. So for example, there in your note sheet, 1 Corinthians 16, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. All right, so more income, more money. Less income, less money. Proportional giving. Uh, next one. Now finish the work so your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. We're going to give according to your means. The last one, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he doesn't have. God's looking for the willingness, not the amount. Now, this cuts both ways, doesn't it? Because on the one hand, if God has blessed us, we might be giving a ton of money, but God would say, but look how much you have left. Right? So it's a, it's a huge amount of money, but based on how much you have, it's a small sacrifice on your part. Or it could go the other way, is I'm not giving very much at all, yeah, but based on what you have, it's a huge sacrifice. So it can cut both ways. So what we see then is that God measures 
not like we measure, but he measures uh, on willingness, how much it costs us on our heart. Now, Jesus taught this principle. Uh, The last uh, week of Jesus' life, he leads his men into the temple complex. So he's gonna be arrested on Thursday night. This is like Monday or Tuesday, early in the week. (laughs) He and his men are spending a lot of time at the temple complex while the teaching would take place and so on. If uh, the temple complex is huge, it was three football fields on one side, five football fields on the other. It would hold 100,000 people and it's like a fortress. Walls, stone high, high, thick, crazy. And, uh, but Jesus would hang out there a lot. It's where you teach and things like that. And so uh, he's there one day. He's with his disciples. And uh, they're sitting near where the offerings are taking. Now, they wouldn't pass a basket. They have these, uh, like, like these trumpets. These made of trump, like metal trumpets. There was like, if I remember right, maybe seven. I could be wrong on that. Maybe nine. But I think they were gold or silver. I can't remember all the deal. But there was, like, there was a bunch of them. And uh, you'd go by and you'd drop your money in. This is how you put your offering. Now, of course, you don't have any dollar bills, so it's like, you know, it's, it's money. It's making noise, you know? If you're throwing in a lot, it's like the casino, you know? You just won, <laughs> except you, <laughs> you just gave it away. But anyway, so they're sitting there having lunch, eating their matzo balls. Well, I don't know, but they're sitting there, they're having lunch, and they're just watching people. And they're just like, I guess it's a slow day. They're just watching people drop their offerings in. And so they're ding, ding, ding. Some people are coming, some wealthy people, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. And uh, they're watching, and then all of a sudden, this lady comes. We find out later she's a widow. And uh, so she's very poor, and she has, like, basically nothing. She's got, like, a quarter or whatever, you know? And so she comes, and she puts in her dink. And uh, Jesus says, stop the show. Did y'all see that? Like, what? Did you see what she just did? Yeah, she just gave nothing. He says, no, no, no. You got this all wrong. Let me tell you how we measure where I come from. It's kind of like a country song. But anyway, <laughs> look what he says. Every time I say that, where I come from, it's like, uh, uh, all right. Uh, verse, okay, so Mark 12, look what he says. He says, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put what? More. More. In all seriousness, hey, where I come from, we count differently. We measure differently. She's put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their what? But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had to live on. God measures not how much we give, but how much it costs us to give. He measures our heart. And so there's this important principle. When it comes to generosity, generosity is proportional. Now, this raises a <coughs> really good question. Um, and the question, okay, so I get that. The giving's proportional, but help me out here. Give me some guidelines. Like, where do we go? Like, how do I, I know what to do? And a question that often comes up when you teach on generosity of giving is this thing I've mentioned a couple times of the tithe, right? So in the Old Testament, this was big for Israel, right? That, that God wove this, and many times he talked about the tithe. This is the way you show gratitude. This is the way you fund the movement, the spiritual movement of the nation, the spiritual life of the nation. This is the way you trust me, and so on. And so there's a lot of teaching in the Old Testament about the tithe, 10%, you know, off the top. And so the question that often comes up is, well, that's a great example of proportional giving, right? Like if you make a million dollars, you give according to your means, 10%. That's 100,000. If you make 50,000, uh, you give 
10%, that's five. So each is giving according to their means. It's proportional giving. And so the question is, so as followers of Jesus today, is that where we should start our spiritual journey of generosity? Is that where we should begin? And to be honest, uh, in the Christian community, there's a great divide over this issue. I'm talking about Bible-believing, love Jesus, love the word, the words of God. There's a tremendous divide. And so there would be some who would say, some Bible teachers, scholars, pastors, and all would say, yes, that's where we need to begin. I mean, God's made it really clear. And they would point out, for example, that the tithe started long before Moses and the law, that it goes all the way back to Abraham. Uh, Abraham tithe and Jacob tithe. And so it's a long history. And they would also point out, this is one of the things that Jesus praised the Pharisees for. In Matthew 23, for example, he's ripping on them pretty much the whole chapter. But in the midst of that, he says, well, at least you tithe, you know? You give, in fact, you even tithe your herb gardens. You know, like you're, you're down, like you tithe everything. And uh, so you should have done that um, and not neglected the more important things, justice and mercy. And so he commends him for that. And so these scholars, Bible students, would, would say, what more do you need? It started with Abraham. It started before the law. It's promised all through the law. God promised he's blessed. Jesus committed for it. Like, what more do you need? Then there's other scholars, biblical scholars, uh, teachers, authors, love Jesus the same one. They say, no, 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 that was for the Old Testament. That was for Israel. And now that Jesus has come, and now that we've received the gift of his Holy Spirit, we shouldn't go by just a strict percentage. Uh, he might want to give us, he want, might want us to give more than 10%. He might want to give us less than 10%, but we just need to listen to the Holy Spirit and give proportionally according to our means. And they'd point out, hey, yeah, Jesus commended this, but nowhere else in the New Testament is it ever taught. And so you can see there's kind of two sides to this thing, you know, and both strong sides. And so the question is, well, who's right? Well, you know, for me, there's a bigger issue. And here's what's important to me. And this is like one of those times where uh, there's certain times in, when, in leading a church, and when I'm, when I'm leading you, there's certain times where I like to put on what I call my dad hat. And my dad hat is like, what would I tell my daughters? Apart from any organizational, like I lead this organization, it's a big organization, there's a lot of money that's involved. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like, forget all that. What would you tell your daughters? There's no organizational concerns. And there's certain times I like to put on my dad hat because I feel like it helps me get super clear or super fast. And, uh, and here's what I would say. I think what's most important to me, I think what's most, most important in this whole issue is that we, we take the two steps we talked about last week. Do you remember last week we talked about generosity grows with two steps? I think it was chapter eight and verse five, the Macedonians modeled this. Remember it says that they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. And this is what I think is so essential for our spiritual life, is as followers of Jesus, we do that. We come before Jesus and we, we say, Lord, I belong to you. You know, 1 Corinthians 6 says we've been bought with a price. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We, we've been purchased. Like, like, I belong to Jesus. Everything I own, everything I have, everything I have, it belongs to him. My job as a follower of Jesus is to live to please him. So when it comes to finances, how I make it, how I spend it, how I invest it, how I give it, how I say, it's all under his leadership, right? So the first step is we come to God and we say, God, I belong to you and I surrender all I have. I'm a manager, not an owner. And as you lead me, I will follow. That's the first step. 
And the second step is that we give as he leads us. And here's my hunch. What I believe is that as we do that, there will be many of you that God will say the first step for you is the tithe. And it's gonna be a big step and it's gonna be a huge step. And you're gonna say, I'm not sure how I could even do this. It doesn't even work out on paper. And over the course of my life, I've known so many believers who said, they felt like God was calling them to tithe and they was like, I cannot do this. I can't afford this. It doesn't work on paper. But they just really felt like the Holy Spirit was calling them and said, yes, the Lord. And it led to amazing results. God met their needs. He supernaturally provided. Their spiritual life took off because they're trusting Jesus in a concrete way, in a way they never had before. Their lives grew, and they have some amazing stories. And I, I believe that for some of you, when you go before the Lord and ask him, this is where he's gonna start for you. Gonna, this is where you need to start. But I also believe that for others of you, he will start at a different place. He will start with a, maybe it's a smaller percentage. Maybe it's a certain amount of money. Uh, maybe it's, I remember teaching on this once and there was a young woman, young professional woman in our church and she emailed me and she, she said, you know, when I, I did that, I did that too, something and I prayed about it and she said, I really felt like it was really clear, like the Holy Spirit just put on my mind it was $400 uh, a month. It was $400 a month. So it's not a tithe at all, but, but that's where it was and it was like, great. You know, like uh, our story, like for Lynn and I, <laughs> when we first got out of college, we were really poor, you know, as you often are when you're out of college and, um, and so we were really poor, just starting off. And, uh, but we went before the Lord, and we just really wanted to honor him with our finances. And both of us had, had received a lot of teaching on tithing, and we kind of knew both sides of this debate. Um, and so we were willing to do either way, but we just wanted the Lord to tell us. We didn't want to do it out of obligation. We didn't want to do it out of duty, out of tradition, out of legalism. Like, if you want us, Lord, we'll do it. But we just want you to lead us. And we prayed about it. After a couple weeks, the Lord made it really clear to us that we were to tithe. That the journey for us was to start at 10% off the top, pre-tax. Right? Off the top. We're gonna, we're, that's where, for us, that's where the, and then he would lead us from there. But that's where we were to start. And I tell you, we did that and God blessed that. And it's one of, one of the best decisions we ever made. And he provided for us. And he's blessed us so there's inside and out, spiritually, financially. I'm telling you, for me, this is like, try to take my Bible, you can't have it. Try to take that, you can't have it. It's like we truly discovered in our life, this was for our good. Kind of the first principle for the day. But here's what I want you to catch. I truly believe that for others, it will be a different journey. That for others of you, as you go before the Lord, he'll say, this is where you start. This is where you begin. And what's important to me as your pastor is that you listen and follow. Because it's not about the amount, it's about the heart. And if the Lord has your heart, then you're good to go. You say, like, if you give your heart to Jesus, I'm not worried about you. You're gonna end up giving and giving generously and he's gonna bless you and you're gonna become, like, I just trust, like, that's going to happen. You are going to thrive spiritually if he has your heart. And the chances are, wherever we start our journey, chances are we'll end up giving more than 10% anyway. Because if you stop and think about it, if God wove generosity into the heart of Israel by teaching them, requiring them 10%, if that was what he required of them, before Jesus came, before he died for us, before we knew the extent of God's love, before we had the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, change us from the inside out, 
it's hard for me to believe that we'll end up being less generous today than they were then. But the route may be different for all of us. And so what's important is that we listen and follow. And if we do that, then we will grow and we will thrive and his spirit will be unleashed in our life because as Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that's why generosity always starts with the heart. And that's why Paul says, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful for the beauty of your word and the path to freedom and the path to life that you call us as you're transforming us from the inside out to be new people, people like Jesus by the supernatural working of your spirit. And we pray, Lord, that as we enter into worship now, as we sing this song, that this would truly be our two-step with you as we say, here's my heart, Lord, and then speak what is true. We pray that you would uh, meet us now in this time of worship and you use these tithes, gifts, and offerings to unleash a movement of passionate but generous Christ followers who are a conduit of your love and grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.